I want to share with you today my journey with apologetics. I'm going to explain what apologetics is and share the two different approaches to apologetics that we can take and how the vast majority of Christians who appreciate apologetics, they hold the first view. But over time, I have become increasingly convinced with the second. Welcome back to Spare No Arrows. My name is Cody Lawrence, and we're going to talk about apologetics. So, what is apologetics? Apologetics comes from the word uh, apologia, which means defense. Uh, it doesn't mean to apologize. It means to defend. And the idea behind apologetics is to defend the Christian faith specifically. Uh, the Bible says, always be ready to give a defense for the hope that's within you. I think every Christian should have uh, basic knowledge of apologetics and understand in some way how to defend their faith. That doesn't necessarily mean that you need to know all of the arguments for the existence of God or, like we'll talk about later, if those are even necessary. Uh, but it does mean that you need to do what the Bible says. Always be ready to give a defense for your faith. And that could be whatever is convincing to you. It at the very least means that you need to be prepared to share the gospel with somebody, to know, to, to know the basic story of scripture and be able to share that with somebody because that's the thing that you believe. And so we should be able to articulate that to others. But what are the two main views that apologetics takes. Well, let me first tell you about kind of my journey. So I first encountered apologetics many years ago when I was in high school or college. And, um, you know, I started being around people for the first time who were more articulate about the fact that they were not Christians, um, you know, because people usually don't talk about that stuff in middle school. But in high school, more people are atheists, especially when I was in high school and college, too. And, you know, I started going to classes where the teachers were uh, not Christians and they were far more outspoken about that. And so I started to ask some questions and uh, I, I wasn't equipped growing up, I think, to answer a lot of those questions in a way that was satisfactory to me, at least. And so what I did was I studied uh, and what I discovered was apologetics, which is a huge, uh, I, I don't know what you would call it, a, a huge uh, community of people who are actively trying to, uh, you know, come up with arguments to defend Christianity, to prove its truth over the truth of other religions, um, comparing the, the strengths of Christianity to things like Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism or atheism, uh, you know, whatever. And so I did a lot of studying. I learned the arguments for the existence of God. Um, I learned a lot about philosophy. I learned a lot about uh, what I would call the evidentialist approach to apologetics. Now, the person who I first encountered that I think did the most good for me at the time was a guy named Greg Kokel, who is the um, the head of an organization called Stand to Reason, which I still enjoy today. I think the Stand to Reason podcast is awesome. 
And Greg Kokel, along with many other people, uh, really helped me at the time to deepen my faith. Now, there were some issues that I had at the time that I, I needed evidence, essentially, to <clears throat> prove God. That's where I was coming from. I needed, uh, I, I did not have necessarily a default um, well, I, you know, I did believe in God, and I, uh, I, I would say I was a Christian um, growing up and had faith in God, but it seemed to me <clears throat> that I was holding the evidence above God. So what I mean by that is this. Uh, I needed, I, I think, God's existence at the time for me was dependent upon the existence of evidence that was out there and good arguments and whatever. So if I thought, well, that argument isn't quite good enough, then therefore that wasn't good proof of God existing. So for God to exist, there needed to be evidence that was sufficient for me. Now that might not sound that bad to a lot of you out there. Uh, it, it might sound entirely reasonable, actually, because... I mean, of course, evidence ought to exist if God exists and there should be ways for us to prove God and so on. But here's the difference with where I land now. Instead of thinking that evidence proves God, I think the existence of God necessitates the evidence. So instead of putting evidence above God, which I was doing before, and you know, maybe I'm not explaining it totally clearly with the way I thought before, but just trust me that this is what I was doing. I feel like I was doing this. I was holding evidence above God instead of holding God above the evidence. Because the truth is, God exists. So we shouldn't say things like, if God exists, we shouldn't assume worlds where God doesn't exist. We shouldn't argue from a position of if God exists. We should instead argue from a position that God does exist. Therefore, we see these things in the world. And I think that is the uh, the key distinction between the two different approaches to apologetics. The, the one approach is called evidentialist. And it's the approach that seeks to... Um, focus on evidence for proof of the existence of God, which again, isn't, isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it is a bad thing if you did what I did, which was, um, hold God to the stuff that you consider sufficient evidence for his belief. And so in a way that like you are justifying God's existence instead of God justifying his own existence, it's kind of funny where it, to me, the, the way that I was dealing with it, at least it was a prideful way to put myself and my own intellect and my own knowledge above God. But the other view is called presuppositionalism. And I had heard this before in the past. Uh, actually, Greg Kokel is friends with um, a comic artist that I love. And if you've never heard of this guy, you should definitely check him out. His name is Doug Tenaple. Uh, and I love Doug Tenable. And it was amazing to me to hear that these two guys were friends. And they would go fishing. And, and they're probably st still friends. <laughs> but Doug Tenable, I heard Greg Kokel talking about his uh, conversations with Doug Tenable one time. And he said that Doug Tenable is a presuppositionalist. <clears throat> and 
that was probably the first time, you know, many, many years ago that I heard the term presuppositionalist. And I was like, oh, what is that? And it sounded like from the way he was talking about it, the way I would have defined it back then was instead of starting at a baseline, instead of kind of starting at zero and then working your way up to does God exist? Did Jesus really raise from the dead? Whatever. Um, you're presupposing the truth of those things and you're not working up from zero, but you're actually starting with in your arguments, the things you believe to be true, which is Jesus did raise from the dead. God does exist. And to me, that sounded weird because I was thinking like, oh, well, you can't prove to somebody that the Bible's true if you are presupposing in your argument that it's true. That's like circular reasoning. It, you know, that's not how we argue. That's not how arguing works. And so I kind of blew it off. But in a way, the definition that I had back then was correct. It was a good definition. A presuppositionalist presupposes the truth of scripture of the existence of God, of the resurrection of Jesus, going into these arguments. And that doesn't mean that we can't share evidence for these things occurring. And it also doesn't mean that we um, have to abandon the truth of those things if we do want to uh, share that evidence with other people. However, I think the difference is from an evidentialist approach, from the traditional evidentialist apologetic approach, it's it's about where you start with the person. If I'm with an atheist and I'm a Christian and I'm like, all right, let's just wipe the slate clean. Let's both use arguments for the existence of God and see where we can get together. <clears throat> that alone, without scripture without presupposing the truth of scripture, doesn't actually get you to the God of the Bible. That's the core of this argument, I think. Philosophy alone, arguments alone, without presupposing the truth of scripture, you actually can't get to the truth of scripture. I don't know if that makes sense. So here's an example. If And actually, I'm planning more podcast episodes about this, and I'm going to talk more about philosophy and Uh, certain things that philosophy can do and can't do in the future. But for now, suffice it to say that using philosophy alone, we cannot get to the existence of the God of the Bible. Using philosophy alone, we're actually ignoring the revelation of God to us. Now, there are two kinds of revelation from God. There's special revelation, which is what we call God's direct communication to us, which is scripture, and then other other ways, potentially, and natural revelation, or what's called general revelation, general and natural revelation. Those are interchangeable terms. And through general or natural revelation, we can know that God exists and the you know the truth of certain things that way. <clears throat> now, natural revelation is much more limited than special revelation, but God gives both to us. And Why is this important? Because the Bible says that things like the law of God is written on every man's heart. So all of us have an innate natural understanding of basic right and wrong, of God's basic law. But also, the Bible says things like um, everybody actually knows that God exists. 
And so everybody is guilty for denying him because they know in their hearts that certain things about God are true. And so people who who claim that they don't know that God exists, what they're arguing is ignorance. Like the atheist will argue, I'm ignorant of the existence of God. I don't have enough information, and so I'm an atheist or I'm an agnostic, whatever. But the truth is, at least according to Scripture, if Scripture is true, and if you're a Christian, you have to believe that Scripture is true, what Scripture actually says is, Everybody has an innate knowledge of God. And so when people deny God and they say it's out of ignorance, it's actually not out of ignorance. It's out of rebellion. That's a huge difference. And I think if we take scripture seriously and we understand that the people who deny God are not just ignorant and it's our job to share with them this information, uh, but they're actually in rebellion, then that, that changes our approach. Because think about this, if somebody is ignorant, if somebody doesn't know that God exists, uh, but really they do, according to scripture, we're going to try to share with them, like, well, hey, here are some reasons why God exists. But really, the entire time, they know that God exists, according to the Bible. They know that God exists. They know that these things are true. And so when you try to convince them that God exists, what you're doing is is not actually taking them closer to Christianity, but what you're doing is bringing yourself closer to their position of rebellion. Because you you know the truth of God. You know the truth that God exists, that Jesus rose from the dead, all that. And when you admit to a person in your apologetics that, yeah, it's, it's understandable, that you don't know that God exists, then you're actually denying the fact that scripture says that everybody knows that God exists. And the way that that changes our approach is that instead of starting at this zero, starting at this baseline where we're both trying to, you know, build, build a bricks of God's existence to, to try to hopefully build up to the God of the Bible. Instead of that, what we do is through presupposing the truth of scripture and through presupposing the truth of the Bible and through actually acknowledging that they do have an innate understanding, what we can actually point to is their hearts. We can actually point to the law of God that is written on their hearts and we can actually point to their own innate understanding because we know they're not actually ignorant, but they're in rebellion. And when I understood the, the distinction between those two forms of of uh, apologetics, that changed things tremendously for me. Over the years, I think I started recognizing that I, I was prioritizing evidence over God. And over time, those switched. I then began prioritizing God over the evidence. Not that evidence isn't important, but I believe that God is the one who necessitates the evidence and not that the evidence necessitates God. It, for me, it was a huge, massive shift. And then, so I, I started believing this kind of naturally on my own. Like, yeah, I, I recognized that I was idolizing evidence. I needed evidence, sufficient evidence. And it's it's not just evidence because, you know, evidence for God exists. But what I was idolizing was essentially my own pride because I believed that I needed what I considered to be sufficient evidence for God. 
when who cares what I consider sufficient evidence? What matters is what God tells us to do. What matters is the truth of God that's revealed in Scripture and in the world. And so over time, I was making that switch and I didn't even realize it. And I would hear things and they would kind of resonate me more, resonate with me more than with the things that used to resonate with me in the past. And then I heard the term presuppositional pop up again. And I thought, whoa, that's me. That's what I am. I now believe the Bible's true. I don't need evidence to know that the Bible's true because I know that the Bible's true. And because the Bible's true, there's also all this evidence that exists. And I can approach people in my conversations with them differently because I know that they know that at the very least, God exists and they know the difference between right and wrong. And I can point them towards scripture and point them towards the resurrection of Jesus as answers for things that they are already aware of and problems that they are already aware of. And I no longer have to take seriously the ridiculous objections that come from atheists because they are ridiculous. I used to take a lot of atheist objections completely seriously and, you know, whatever. But um, my approach has changed. And I think what it has done is given me much more joy and much more confidence in the truth of the existence of God. Uh, and, you know, I can't, I can't really give any advice on how you can do this for yourself, how you can, you know, I think everybody should be a presuppositionalist, but it's, you know, maybe other people could give better advice than me on this, but the only advice that I can give is hold God above everything else in your life. Hold the authority of the word of God higher than any other authority in your life. And you will naturally become a presuppositionalist. And I think if you're not a presuppositionalist, then there's some kind of mix up with the authority of scripture and the authority of God. And I think you should examine your, your beliefs and your views, uh, and, and the, the way you hold authorities and the authority of scripture and, um, and try to reconcile that. Does evidence prove God for you or does God necessitate the existence of this evidence? Something to think about. 